How are we doing? As we get into it, it's so great to be with you guys. Uh, we, we are really loving our time at, at Lane Park and, and meeting you guys and getting to know you all, and we're slowly getting to know a lot more of you. Uh, so thank you for being so friendly. And uh, I just want to start with this verse. It's John chapter 6, verse 1 to 14, and uh, it's about Jesus feeding the 5,000, which uh, is, for most of us, a story that we're familiar with, but I'll read it out. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he uh, performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover uh, was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? I love this. He asked this to only test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Isn't that cool? He already knew what he was going to do, but he just asked Philip and the disciples to test them, see what they thought. Philip answered him, it will take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how will they go far amongst, amongst so many? So Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Just a little note there. When they talk about a thing like this and they say 5,000 men were there, we need to remember that it was, it was more likely five, somewhere around 5,000 men with their wives and their children. So we could have been actually talking about something like around 20, 25,000 people in actual fact. But in the sexist times that they lived, they only counted men. Today we would do it differently, but uh, it was a cultural thing. And uh, so uh, that's just to give more insight into that number. Uh, Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who uh, were seated as much as they wanted. They could have as much as they wanted, no limit. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And I'll pray. Father, I just pray that as we look at uh, your principles and your word today, that uh, you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. It's interesting. It said there were 12 loaves, and, and I was uh, thinking about it last night. I was thinking, I wonder why it was 12. Why wasn't it 7? Why wasn't it 13? Why wasn't it 17? And I thought, I wonder if it was 12, because there were 12 disciples and they'd all have to carry one in it. And it would remind them as they carried it that, that they served a Lord who could do anything that he put his mind to. Anything he wanted to do, he could do. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Why was it 12? I always, always never, never be scared to stop and think and ask lots of why, 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 why that, why this, why that? And ask God, he'll, he'll tell you all kinds of stuff. 
You know, when I was uh, 15 years old, I got saved and uh, or told about Jesus. And uh, I didn't know if Jesus was real. And I didn't know if the people telling me about Jesus were real. But eventually I came to a part where I decided that God was real. I waited up and looked at it and, and God did some stuff that I couldn't, I couldn't argue away. I had to come to a point where one day I looked up at him and said, okay, I get it. I know you're real and I will give you my life. And from that point on, I knew that when I gave my life to Christ, that it would be everything. It would take everything. It would not be a you see, I, I had been trying to negotiate up until that point. When I was first told about Jesus, I said, I don't want to be a Christian. I'm, I'm partying. I've got alcohol. Uh, I wasn't really into drugs, but we did use a little bit. Um, there were girls. There was uh, kayaking. I lived for kayaking. I, it was my God. You know, it, it, I didn't have a Beetle yet, you know, a V-dub, but I would end up getting one later on. And I was living the perfect hippie lifestyle, you know, doing what I wanted, all about me. And uh, then I was told about Jesus, and, and I thought, I don't want to give up this and become a a straight kind of religious person who wears a suit, possibly with a name badge or, you know, something on or has to go door to door on Sundays. That's what I thought church people were. And so I tried to argue it. Well, what about if I do this? And, and I go to church on Sunday and they said, well, you still won't be living fully for Christ. So you'll go to hell. Okay. Well, what about I do this then and I do this and this and this? And it came to the same result. It didn't matter how I argued, I, I realized that I could not live fully for God unless I lived fully for God. And so I knew that when I gave my life to Christ that it would be everything. It would cost me everything. Uh, and I, I actually today thank the people that uh, didn't water down the gospel, didn't make it all soft and and uh, lovely, and it, it'll be, all be lovely. It's so easy. Because the truth is that sometimes it's difficult. But that said, I would never go back and change it because I feel fuller now than I ever felt before. My life is more fulfilled and richer now than it has ever been before in my life. But when I came and gave my life to God, gave my life to Jesus, I just wanted to live fully for God. I wanted to just do whatever I could do for God. I wanted to bring whatever I, whatever I had in my hands and, and I wanted to just, just, you know, just please God and just work for Him. And, and so back in, the, back in the 80s, and it's pretty cringy today, but they used to do lots of open-air preaching and, and that, uh, Friday nights and Saturday mornings, the, there'd be a group of youth and young adults would go uptown and that open-air preach and sing, sing worship songs, which really is quite cringy today. It's just we've kind of gone a long way and people don't really enjoy it so much. But, and, but I cut my teeth preaching actually on a street basically talking about something I really didn't know anything about because I had just given my life to Christ, but I just wanted to do whatever I could do for God. And so when I look back at some of the things I said, they were nuts. Like they were just, they just, they were stupid, you know. But, but I learned, you know. I said some silly things to people, not, not as in doctrinally, they were just dumb 15 year old you know preaching to the world I didn't I didn't know a whole lot and but God I think God probably honored my heart 
and that and it was a start of a thing that would happen in my life and that was I would just say yes to things Soon after that, a few weeks later, I was, I was asked if I would become a, a Sunday school leader. Now, I didn't know anything to be able to teach kids Sunday school. So what I would do, they, they did training. They say tra- all training will be provided. So I went to the training sessions. And, and I realized this great thing that we should all be aware of. All you've got to be when you're leading someone or discipling someone or working to help someone is one step ahead of them. One step ahead of them. It doesn't matter whether it's the workplace. It doesn't matter what it is. All you've got to be is that one lesson ahead of them all the way. And you can get through. And you can learn. And I learned so much in my own life through actually having to quickly study because I didn't know what to teach the person. You know, I was asked to disciple this person. I didn't know what does it even mean, you know. Just teaching someone, journeying with someone is all it means. Journeying with them in God, telling them about God, helping them to become more uh, knowledgeable and uh, to uh, live fully for God and to be more purposeful in their life. But I had no idea. But I came to a point where I just said yes. I just said yes. And it's been a trend that's happened wherever I've basically been asked to do something If there hasn't been a reason why not, I've generally just said yes. Now, I need to balance that, and I'll balance that with some thinking in a minute because we can actually burn ourselves out if we're not careful with saying yes to everything. So I'm not talking about we just do everything we're asked to do because that that makes no sense at all. And and I, as as a pastor and as a leader in church, have always been very careful with monitoring how much people are doing before I ask them to do something. And how much they're doing after that, because other people can ask them to do stuff. And and uh, I, you know, as a pastor, I love people coming to me and saying, "We need this. How about I do it?" But generally, at Life Church, and that when a young adult would come, and generally it was a young adult, because older people generally have stuff on their plate or they're busy with other stuff and that. So, and um, but it would generally be young adults, and I worked in the young adults area, so it was going to be more likely that it would be a young adult. But they'd come in and, and most of the discussions I would say, well, hang on, you're already doing this and this and this and this. Yes, it's a great idea. What are you willing to give up to take it up? And they would think and then they would go away and think and either I wouldn't hear from them again on it or they would move some stuff around so they would stay healthy. Um, and and uh, still achieve that thing because it could be a God thing. It could be God putting something on their heart that they needed to actually do. Uh, so it's not just about saying no, but it's about just being, we can't do everything and do it well. So we need, it's, I've said before, we should all do one thing in church really, really well. All do one thing in church really, really well. Now, a number of us do do a whole bunch of things, but really, um, we need to monitor that. Um, if it's just a small thing, maybe we can do a few things. If you're multi-talented, like Joram is, he can drum, he can play guitar, he can he can do sound and that. But we need to monitor it. We don't get too busy. We are called, and this is a privilege, we are called to be God's fellow workers. God's fellow workers. 
You know, it's not like God lords it over us. He actually calls us to actually lock in with him and actually work together with him for the sake of the kingdom. Isn't that cool? We have an opportunity to actually lock in and work with him. And that is a wonderful thing. The temptation we have, though, is sometimes we're not sure, what should I do? Has anyone had that problem? I, don't, I just don't know what to do. And so I've met with a number of people and, and they've said, you know, I, I, I've got this on my heart, but I don't know about it. Or, or, you know, maybe we're waiting for the perfect deal to come along or the perfect thing that we can serve in. And, and we just don't know. What is it? And then we're faced with some stuff. And, and I've had people in past who have been asked to do things. And, and I've said, no, no, I, I just, I'm, you know, got too much on my plate. And yet I've really felt that there were times where they've actually passed up what, what, which was actually a God calling on their life. Um, and they turned it down for something that was lesser. Um, but we've all got to walk our own road. And one thing I've learned about God is God takes us around again sometimes. If we don't learn the lesson, God will take us around again. And sometimes it's not we don't learn the lesson. It's not we're being necessarily disobedient. Sometimes we just, we just need to go around again and then realize, ah, oh, I think God might be telling me something. I think I might be meant to do this after all. I wasn't sure. Now I'm sure. Now I'll do it. Maybe that's a learning lesson in God, isn't it? But I've got three thoughts around it. And the first is, it all begins with a yes. It all begins with a yes. If you want to be effective for God, if you want to live for God, at some point you've got to say yes. And I don't mean just say yes to God, but yes to actually doing stuff. Because, and I'm not just talking about stuff inside the church here, I'm talking about stuff for the kingdom. I'm talking about helping people. I'm talking about, I saw this great clip the other day. It was uh, about a florist. And it was, uh, she was basically saying, oh, you know, what gifts do I have? And what can I do that matters? And, you know, all I am is a florist. All I am is a florist. All I do is make arrangements with flowers and and then it showed this different clip where it showed the person who was getting the flowers delivered to them and how it brightened up their world and it and it changed their life that day one one moment at a time and 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 this person who was really depressed but they got flowers and that and you know or this mother who had just had a baby and she got flowers and how special it was and this job that this florist thought wasn't significant was suddenly significant because understanding came. But it all started with a yes. You know, my journey to pastoring actually started with a yes. Back at Life Church, uh, church uh, the senior pastorship had been handed over from John Walton to the next one, Ralph Sutherland. And, and we had uh, worked with Ralph for a number of years. I'd played on musos with him. He was my youth pastor. He was a uh, great um, young adults pastor on occasions. And he was just fantastic and we just love Ralph to bits and so uh, it was officially handed over on a Saturday night and on Sunday uh, night after church I just caught up with him after church and I said Ralph we just want you to know we love you to bits 
and we're here for you. And whatever you need going forward to make you succeed, we've got your back. We will do it for you. Whatever, however we can help you, we will help you. Now, I didn't really think about it, and I wasn't uh, saying it to try and get something. It was a, it was a totally just a message of unity, a message saying, "We've got your back, buddy." We're here for you. You know, we believe in you. We love you. We want the best for you. About a week or two later, uh, Ralph rang and said, can I come around for a coffee? And then he asked us if we would become elders at church. And then after I said, we said yes to that. And then after that, he said, hey, you know, we need for men's camp, we need music arranged. And could could I leave that to you? Because I was did stuff in musos and and then I said yeah I got it Ralph you don't need to worry about it so I just took care of it and and he realized that you know he didn't have to worry about it I was faithful with it I took care of everything there was nothing messy everything was arranged everything was well done and and then he got me to do some other stuff around men's camp and some stage designs for Father's Day and which freaks me out because I'm not really that creative at that kind of stuff I leave it to the real creative people and uh, But, you know, eventually Ralph came to me and he said, I just feel like God's got more for you than policing because I was policing back in that day. And I had started to sense that the wind was changing, that the uh, course of the wind was changing. And I just kept, and the way I looked at it, I just, well, I'll just keep saying yes to God. If God doesn't smack me over the head with a hunk of four by two and say no, Dino, I will, I will say yes. And one thing I've realized is God is big enough to get my attention. When he doesn't think that I should do something, he breaks my peace. I, I, I'll get asked to do something and I don't have a peace. And I found that very, a very, very powerful way to make decisions uh, is when I'm trying to weigh up you know, should we, shouldn't we? I just ask God, what's your peace in all of this? What's your will? Close the doors. Will you open the doors or close the doors? And will you give me a peace? And there's been times, I mean, there was a house that Gina and I were about to buy and everything was green light with it. The bank had said yes, everything. And then Gina and I, one morning, um, we woke up and I can't remember whether it was uh, Gina said to myself or I said to her but one of us said hey I don't have a peace with this anymore my peace is gone and the other one of us said I feel it too mine's totally gone so we we said no to the house um we hadn't hadn't crossed through the final gate so we didn't need to breach anything but but we just didn't let the deal go ahead because we our peace was gone there was some reason I think in God and I don't know maybe he just wanted to teach us to to listen to him maybe it was about learning what it felt like to know when the peace wasn't there I don't know maybe the house was going to fall down a week later or something I don't know maybe it was something big like that God was protecting us from or maybe it was something really really minor that was just part of the journey of learning to live closer and listen more to God so it all starts with a yes. And I found that as I've gone through in God, I've just said yes and yes and yes. And God has blessed it. God has blessed it all the way through to where I ended up going full-time with God, um, pastoring. And uh, none of you should feel 
um, oh, that's wonderful, and I'm only not a pastor. We're all living for God. It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor on stage or you're doing something off stage. Every single person has to do their job. None is more important than any other. Um, it's all about working for the kingdom, and we all bring our bits. We all bring what's in our hand. I've been thinking about the boy, the little boy with the fish in the basket. Imagine if he had said, get lost. No, it's my fish, it's my loaves, and I'm not going to give them away. But there was a boy there who gave up what he had, and it fed 5,000 men plus women plus children. And we now know it as the feeding of the 5,000 or the 20,000 or the 25,000 or how many, ever many it was. But it could have been the, f- the boy that says no to Jesus. But he didn't, did he? He said yes. It all started with a yes and a great miracle came out of it. Keith Green, how many have heard of Keith Green, most, most of the older ones. You young ones, this is an education. You're about to hear a song by Keith Green. Keith Green was a, a singer, very f- um, famous singer, some about back in the 80s, 70s and 80s. And he died in the 80s. And his call from God, his thing that he said yes to was he believed that his job was to raise up. I can't, does anyone remember how many missionaries? But it was, it was like he was to raise up, I think it was like thousands of missionaries, like encourage people to go to shores apart from their own and do mission work and probably stay at home and do mission work because that is also just as important. Uh, the location's not as important as the going. Um, so Matt, can we just play that song? What Just before you press it, Um, it's a song that has been a great challenge to me over the years. It's been, it's not an easy song to listen to and I don't play it to convict you. Uh, but it's a song that I use just to remind myself, like, where do I sit in this? Am I, am am I doing this stuff or, or am I failing in this area? So it's a song that's always challenged me and I'll, we'll just play a bit of it. I think, um, we'll see how we go, eh? So hit it. I could see Joram on the stage, chun, 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 playing guitar. I've always found that a really challenging song, just because it is. I don't know how you can listen to it and not be challenged, you know. We, we need to get out of our beds. We need to uh, be doing stuff for other people. This world is lost. This world's broken. And it doesn't know how to fix it. And it keeps coming up with bright ideas but none of them really work because it's looking in the wrong places for the wrong solutions. And we have the answer. We have the answer. We have the answer to fix the world's problems. If only we, the universal church, not you, we, the universal church, would truly stand up and do what we're meant to do and be what we're meant to be. Point two, it needs to be brought in humility. So our giftings need to be run out of humility. You know, I was, I was thinking about Saul. 
Saul did something that Saul could do, but wasn't a great thing to do. He was uh, king of Israel, as you know, and there was a battle and they were heavily outnumbered by Philistines and Saul was freaking out. Samuel, the great prophet, had said, I'll be there and when I get there, I'll make a sacrifice and wait until I come to do it. Saul was freaking out. He started becoming concerned at, at the state of the Israelite camp and what they were saying. And, and he felt like he had to do something. So he did the offering, which was not a king's place to do. It was a priest's, a prophet's place to do. It was Saul's job to give the offering to God. And it says that just as he had finished doing it, Saul uh, Samuel arrived and Samuel said, what have you done? What have you done, Saul? And this is where it gets interesting because Saul should have, should have said, I mucked up. I freaked out. I didn't know what to do. Everyone was freaking out. I, you know, but instead he turned around and he blamed Samuel. And he said, things were going to custard. Everyone's freaked out. You weren't here when you were meant to be here. And I felt compelled to do something. I felt compelled to do something. And that cost, I think that response there was probably the backbone of what cost Saul his kingship because it was taken off him at that point and given to another who mucked up in worse ways than Saul, which is a great study all of its own, the difference comparison between Saul and David. But David did far worse than Saul, really, when you think about it. But when he was confronted, his response was that of humility, not bolshiness. And basically when he accused Samuel and he replied to Samuel and said, when you weren't here, he was basically accusing God. When your guy wasn't here like he was meant to be. And the Bible says that God resists the proud. He loves the humble, but he resists the works of the proud. So we need to deal with pride in our lives. The problem with the world is a lot of people want to be leaders. They want to be in charge of getting great things done, but they don't actually want to have to do the work. They don't know that true leadership actually means putting in hard yards. A lot of people think it's, it's doing lists and sending lists out to others and having minions and and this, you know, this was so apparent to me in the police, you know, that when you got to a certain level, you didn't do the work, you just sent the minions to do it. And yet there were times where I think the legitimacy of the leadership could have been so much more if some of the leaders knew how to serve. And yet I saw times where people at high levels did know how to serve and they did stuff very practically and, that, and earned the respect of their staff. But I saw times where, they, where others didn't and they didn't have the respect of their staff. 
it's an interesting thing. It starts with humility. It needs to be brought in humility. And it's a great lesson to us as, as we go on and become leaders. And if we're involved in taking people from here to here, and we should all be because we were given the great commission by Jesus that we're to go into the world and preach the gospel and teach people about Jesus and, and baptize them and that. So by that, if we live out that definition, we're taking people from there to here. That is the one definition of leadership. Someone who takes someone from there to there is a leader. We are all leaders by that definition. And we do better when it's in humility. Point three. It needs to be in line with God's will. Needs to be in line with God's will. And coming back to Saul again, he stepped out. And he did a sacrifice that was not in line with God's will. It was not the way that it was to be done. And a king of Israel should have known that. In fact, the king of Israel did know that, but ignored the fact. And there are ways that things should be done in God. There, we need to honor God's principles. When we're leading, we need to lead out of humility, like I said. There, there is a principle in that. God loves the humble. There's also a principle around faithfulness and, and as leaders and, and, and having a thing in our hand that we are faithful with. It's not just always doing it well, but we're to bring growth out of that thing. The parable of the talents, you know, Jesus told the parable of the talents. A master goes away to another land, but he gives three of his servants. He gives one five talents, a value of money. He gives to another three and another, another two and another one. So five, two, and one. Then he comes back and he, and he gets them to come and report on how they did with that investment. The one with five doubled it, and he says, you've been faithful with little. I'm going to put you over much. Well done, faithful servant. The one with two brings four, and, Jesus, and the master says the same. You've been faithful over little, I'll put you over much. The one with one freaked out, didn't he? He didn't know what to do. He, he knew his master was a hard taskmaster, and he expected a profit on his return. But he buried it to keep it safe. And it, so he comes back and he says, here, this is what you've, given me. I knew you were a hard taskmaster. I knew you expected gain. So, so I, I did the opposite. I hid it in the ground and here it is again. And the master says, if you knew I was like that, why didn't you take notice of it and behave in such a way? You could have given it to a bank and they would have given you investment uh, interest on it that you could have given back to me. And I would have had profit. And he took it off him and said, you're an unfaithful servant. And sitting in that is a very interesting principle that we are not just to take care of things, but we are to grow things that are given to us. And it's not meant to be a legalistic um, kind of uh, preachy sort of word today, although it probably sounds a bit like it, but it's meant to be an encouragement that we all should be doing something, that we all need to ha do what's in our hand. 
but we need to actually grow some stuff. If I'm a musician in church, to play bass is great on Sundays, but who else have I grown to replace myself? Who else have I taught to play bass? See, if I just play bass and then when I leave, there's no bass player, then things are not better off, are they? If I'm a piano player, who am I teaching to play piano? If I'm a life group leader, who have I got coming up under me that I'm teaching to be a life group leader to? If I'm doing youth, how am I growing that ministry? If I'm a leader, who am I bringing through? If I'm a pastor, how am I developing people under me? How am I developing church? How am I growing other pastors? It's all important. These are church examples, but it applies in the workplace as well. It's all transferable. You know, if we're in a workplace, what are we doing to grow our business in the workplace? What are we doing as a teacher to grow our students to be better, to be well taught? You see, at the end of the day, we won't be here. And the true test of how faithful I've been is what state will Lane Park Church be in when we're gone? That is the true test of faithfulness. It's not here. Things might look great now, but what happens down the road? What happens down the, you know, further down the track? That is whether the test of whether I'm faithful or not. What fruit will remain? You know, the Bible says, by their fruit, you'll know them. And I think this is a great area. So just as I conclude, never settle. Never settle. Never say, this is enough. I've done enough. I can stop now. I don't care if you've been coming to church for 60 years. You can never stop. If you enter a marathon and you run 41.9 Ks and you stop at that point, you will not finish the marathon. You will get a did not finish award. You can only run a marathon when you run all 42 kilometers. We can only finish our race when we run and, and actually cross the finish line. So my uh, encouragement to you, if you've been coming here for a long time, is keep coming, keep coming, keep doing stuff, never stop, keep the passion going, keep asking God, where's the fish, where's the bread I can bring today, what can I bring, you like fish, I like fish too, love it, especially in a good, in a good coconut cream, mm. so good, hey, so there's a whole bunch of areas you can be involved in, there's the cafe, there's children's church, there's creche, there's zest youth, there's young adults, there's repairs and maintenance, there's practical helps outside of church, helping in the community, helping uh, Ron and, and um, uh, things that he's doing. There's the garden, there's men's stuff they're doing and there's missions outside of church. There's, uh, there's stuff for Africa that we can be involved in. So take your pick and do something. How does that sound? And then we can all support each other and encourage each other. 
and run hard. Yeah? I'll pray. Father, uh, this was a, a little bit of a probably a sobering word, uh, but I just pray that it'll be a word that helps us all and uh, that encourages us at the end of the day. May your, what you desire, may your will be done at the end of the day. May you have centre stage. May we live for you. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak to every heart here today and uh, that you would bring the message through. I pray you have been speaking already. I know you have been, uh, but I pray you'll continue to speak to us. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so that was a bit of a, it was a bit of a, it wasn't meant to be a heavy word, but I, I just sensed that it probably was. Um, but please just take it as, and encouragement. Please take it as I throw a whole bunch of stuff up in the air. You catch what you want. And if, and if there's stuff in there that's no value to you, you just let it fall to the ground. How's that? Great. Have a great day, guys.